0: Welcome to Marrow Masters, Season 5, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, CGen, Omeros Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and their families cope with the psychosocial challenges of transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's your host, Executive Director of the NBMT Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on survivorship. Whether you're five minutes into survivorship or 25 years plus, we have perspectives that will speak to you, inspire you, and help you at every turn. We know when patients enter survivorship, it is truly a gift, but it can also be overwhelming at times and emotionally draining. This season will focus on helping survivors and caregivers better understand the despair, the mental challenges, some work career issues, chronic graft-versus-host disease, and the role it plays in survivorship, giving back, not giving up, finding your herd, and so much more. So grab a few minutes, grab some coffee, settle in, and get ready to be enlightened and educated as you make a few new friends along the way who will share their grit, intense honesty, and determination to not only get through this, but to thrive and live their best life. Today, we welcome Dr. Lalone who is a consultation liaison psychiatrist at Sidman Cancer Center University's Hospitals as well as an assistant professor of psychiatry at Case Western Reserve University who works with complex patients. Today Dr. Lalone will share her perspective on several mental health issues that relate to survivorship. Welcome Dr. Lalone. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. So many patients will tell us after their transplant, that they really feel like they've just experienced some PTSD. Would you help us better understand PTSD and medical trauma as it relates to the survivorship of post-BMT patients?
1: Yes, and thank you, Peggy, and thank you for having me here today. Um, it's definitely a pleasure to be with you. PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, is a common physical emotional, and psychological response to an abnormal stressor, generally something that's dangerous or life-threatening. In the medical setting, PTSD, or what I refer to as medical trauma, is a response to all of the terrifying aspects of receiving a life-threatening diagnosis, like lymphoma or leukemia. It's not only the circumstances of the original diagnosis, which can also be very sudden, um, Going to see your primary care for blood work and then getting a call that evening that says, You need to come to the hospital immediately. You have leukemia. One patient that comes to mind was on his way to prom when he got that phone call, showed up in um, our hospital with his tuxedo and started chemotherapy that evening. Wow. The circumstances of getting some shocking news like that, in and of itself, is often a very traumatic experience. Then there's also the treatment themselves, which can be traumatic. The chemotherapy, the bone marrow biopsies, the isolation, being in transplant in the hospital, the frustration and inconvenience of having to interact with our very complicated medical system, trying to organize one's appointments, see multiple specialists, trying to pay for their bills and having the right insurance that one needs in order to afford this process trying to navigate family responsibilities and career interruptions. And so when I think about medical trauma, it's all of those things together that can affect somebody's mental health.
0: Absolutely, I'm trying to envision this young man in his tuxedo, talk about your world just crashing down. Wow, so Dr. Lalone, let's talk about the many normal responses to a traumatic experience such as physical, emotional, cognitive, behavioral, spiritual?
1: Having a traumatic experience, including a medical trauma, can affect all aspects of our life and our functioning. Patients may feel nervous. They may feel sick to their stomach. Um, they may get palpitations whenever they hear the word cancer or was somebody walking into the cancer center might suddenly burst into tears. Um, emotionally, they can feel numb they can have extreme mood changes, irritability, even panic, but these are all still considered very normal reactions. Patients might struggle with their focus and memory. They may find themselves being preoccupied when they're at work or in trying to engage in normal life activities that they're thinking back about their diagnosis. Um They may notice a change in their behavior, not being able to sleep, spending time on the internet, researching and reading about their diagnosis, socially isolating from friends and family. And sometimes we even see people engage in even more reckless behaviors, not showing up to follow-up appointments or using drugs and alcohol and other ways to try to cope with just the stress of this.
0: I can imagine. So... Dr. Lalone, are there any common symptoms patients may notice regarding PTSD or medical trauma?
1: So commonly, patients may not necessarily be referred immediately to psychiatry, but they may be talking to their, their oncologist, their hematologist about, um, I'm just not sleeping. I just feel numb, feeling irritable, yelling at their children or irritability with their spouse. They might actually describe symptoms of severe anxiety or panic, um, having a hard time with needles, for example, when they're getting lots of blood draws or going in for scans or procedures, they may become more obsessive in like checking their heart rate or checking their bodies physically to look for symptoms. Why is my head hurting? Is that cancer or is it just a headache? They may even notice some of of these more reckless behaviors, this kind of, you know, desire to avoid following up on the the appointments they're supposed to be doing, or um, not returning phone calls, or not dealing with bills, or certain other aspects of their care because they just feel overwhelmed.
0: We do hear that type of thing all the time from patients. So let's talk about common triggers and how patients learn to manage these.
1: One of the most important things that I do when I talk with patients is I try to normalize their experience. And like I said at the beginning, a lot of medical trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder reactions are normal reactions to very abnormal circumstances and try to normalize the fact that people have this kind of variety of emotional responses. Um, Normally, as people are getting their diagnosis, our patients are kind of in shock to be honest, and they're kind of going through the motions of this appointment and this treatment and are sometimes psychologically delayed, that early survivorship is often a time where emotionally it starts to catch up with them. They may then stop sleeping and start worrying about when is my cancer coming back and having some of these fears. And so a lot of times when I first meet patients is actually after They've already gone through treatment and transplant. And a lot of our work together is to start at the beginning and try to remember their story and organize their story into a way that they can understand the process. Because at the time, like I said, the memory can be impaired, the focus can be impaired when when people are kind of in a state of shock. And so helping them understand all the pieces of what has just happened to them can be very helpful. Having a lot of self-compassion that anyone, any normal person would start to feel scared and afraid um, in this sort of a setting. Having compassion for their families and for other people in their world and trying to set priorities of how they keep themselves healthy. I always tell my patients I'm proud of them because it's hard after you've gone through so much treatment and seen so many doctors to then sometimes meet yet a new doctor, a psychiatrist, or a therapist to talk about your emotional self. And I'm always very proud of patients because sometimes that's not an easy place for them to have to express some of their more vulnerable feelings. Um, We do learn about certain aspects of their care that may be particularly traumatizing. Like like I said, the needles or going in for scans. We may offer Medications, anxiety medicines to help certain aspects that are more difficult um, be a little bit more comfortable. I work closely with art and music therapists, and we often are trying to tap into other creative ways of helping patients to navigate some of the more difficult aspects of their care. But I will say part of the journey in learning to manage triggers is teaching patients to understand. the trauma has affected them personally. And so I can't necessarily speak to every patient, but it's a journey of kind of self-awareness and self-understanding that can be very helpful to help them be successful because they will have to come back to the hospital and come back for appointments and continue to follow up and do scans. And it's hard to completely forget that you've ever gone through this sort of an experience, but many patients can become more confident and kind of knowing of what to expect kind of week to week, month to month. Then my job and what I do a lot with patients is to help them find joy and meaning. Oh, that's great. In their, their post-treatment journey. And sometimes we have to actively search for it a little harder than others. Um, Sure. And, and try to, again, to manage symptoms when they do get very severe.
0: How, long are patients usually benefiting from this type of post-transplant therapy? Is there a rhyme or reason? Does it vary with each patient?
1: I would say it certainly varies. I mean, the number of patients that come through our transplant center, I would say only a small fraction are end up being referred for mental health care or psychiatry care. They may make access And utilization of non-for-profit resources, things like the Gathering Place is is a local support for cancer patients in our area. But that doesn't mean they may not be accessing other supports in the community, but to actually come through, I would say it's a very small percentage. And often patients that we see are folks who have dealt with depression and anxiety earlier in life, even prior to their cancer diagnosis or treatment. Folks who perhaps have had other trauma in their life, but sometimes we see a lot of patients who this is the first time they've ever encountered, you know, mental health services. And like I said, it also varies. Um, not everybody who has what we often term an acute stress disorder or an adjustment disorder, kind of a difficult time coping, you know, with the original diagnosis, maybe the transplant process. Many patients will do very well as time goes on probably about a third of people who have a significant adjustment disorder or a reaction will go on to have post traumatic or severe ongoing symptoms and those patients may continue to work with us they may engage in individual therapy in the community and seek you know other resources but our goal is to treat severe depression, severe anxiety, get people sleeping, help people to get back to their normal selves in as many ways as possible, which includes getting back to work and trying to manage fatigue and sleep and energy and those kind of day-to-day like physical needs so that people can be at their best.
0: Absolutely. One of our other podcasts in the same series, he talks about art therapy I believe his daughter is getting a master's in art therapy. So I I love how you mentioned the music therapy and searching until you find what you need. I also want to say that we know it's important for everyone that thinks they need to talk to someone, whether they get back to their hometown, you know, just to remove the stigma of therapy. I mean, how could you not need to talk to someone about getting through such a daunting, incredible, life saving experience? And I just want to mention that. I think it's wonderful to live in a day where it's not taboo and it's it's almost the opposite if you don't have a therapist. <laughs> I I feel like people think there's something wrong with you. So I think it's wonderful that we're addressing this topic and that people know that it's okay and you know we have a buddy program at the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link a peer mentor program and we buddy up patients that have walked the walk and gotten through their transplant and Some of the most rewarding emails that I get to read are the people that thank us for our social worker, our licensed staff social worker Jennifer will match them up by age and diagnosis. And, you know, we know our peers really well. So we can usually make it a good fit. And these people go on to become friends. It's almost like their own personal therapist, if you will, to guide them through the journey. And I think that the longer I do this job, the more I see the value of that aspect too. And Anyone listening, if you, if you feel you need a buddy or a mentor, please reach out to us and we'll be happy to partner you up with a new friend that will help you get through this life-saving time. So Dr. Lalone, we covered a lot here. Is there anything else that you can think of, any messaging that you'd love to get out? There are so many people that don't have access to wonderful psychiatrists like yourself and just some tips for them or pearls of wisdom would be appreciated.
1: It's hard to define something, you know, as complex as what it might be like to get this kind of a diagnosis, of leukemia, lymphoma. I mean, many patients, when they first hear these words coming out of a physician's mouth, don't even know what Hodgkin's lymphoma or multiple myeloma means. They've never met someone with such a thing. And the shock of just the complexity of the knowledge sometimes is very overwhelming for patients to have to ask questions and feel like they're completely out of their element here. And then trusting that these doctors are going to be giving them the right advice, the best advice, the advice that's maybe best for them, given maybe other things going on with their health, their circumstances. And I know that one of the consequences of trauma is a lot of distrust and fear towards the medical system. And what I do tell patients is it's important to trust the person leading you through the valley. And I'm a very strong advocate that patients seek second opinions. They ask questions when they don't understand the reason for why a certain treatment is being offered or not, why there's being a change. We may, as physicians, we may have already told you something. You may have been. In shock at the time, not really listening. I think there's data that suggests that people remember about 40% of what is discussed in any medical visit. And so I encourage patients to write down their questions, to ask the same questions again until they feel like they're getting good answers. And if they don't feel comfortable with who they're working with, to find a doctor that they trust. The scary enough process to have to go through something like this to not really. Trust the person that's really making decisions. And I think having a team that you're working with that you trust and can rely on is probably the most important piece. I would also say that even early on, even before you're in the survivorship period, if you're struggling with not sleeping at night or being afraid all of the time or being sad and not being able to function, that is very normal. And there are things that talking with a therapist or a psychiatrist, if that's something available to you at your cancer center, or even in the community, because psychiatrists and therapists are very good at managing depression and anxiety. And it's kind of the same thing, whether it's occurring in the context of a cancer diagnosis or not, and helping people feel a little bit more in control of their emotional selves um, in order to go through a process like this. So I would challenge them to be courageous and let people know if they're struggling with mental health symptoms and that that is something that, that is a piece of your treatment such that you feel supported and safe to share even scary thoughts like suicidal thoughts or anger or frustration when something has not gone as planned. And, Beyond your medical team, you also have at least one person in your world. And I like the idea of the buddy program because peer support, I really feel like, especially in our younger patients, is an invaluable asset to have someone who gets it. And I joke with my 20-year-old patients going through something like this. All your friends are out drinking beer and eating pizza, and you are alone in a hospital. This sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is not how it should be. Yeah, it sure does. It's not fair that this happened. It is nothing that you did wrong. You didn't go out and purposely catch cancer in order to ruin your family's lives. It's a terrible thing when it happens. There's other people who've gone through it and connecting with them can help people certainly not feel so alone, but be a really great source of encouragement. And the other thing that I do with patients is I share stories of other people who've been through things that are similar so that they understand that In the darkest moments, we often see the best of humanity. We see people rise and learn and cope with amazing things that we never thought they could do. And sometimes by you sharing your story, you may have the opportunity to give somebody else hope.
0: Oh, absolutely. One of our other speakers in this series is a a young woman who had cancer in her 20s, and her whole messaging is finding your herd. And she actually started a nonprofit about it. So it's exactly what you're saying. And it's so important at any age. But I do agree with you uh, for the AYAs, the young adults, this is especially tough. And we all know how tough this pandemic has been. Dr. Lalone, I just cannot thank you enough. You have covered material that we don't have access to very often. And I know this is going to help so many people. We thank you for your time and your commitment. It's so obvious how much you care about your patients, and I'm sure you are wonderful at what you do, and we appreciate you today. Is there anything else you want to say as we close out here? Just to thank you, Peggy, for having me, to thank you for the work that
1: you're doing to support our patients, and to remind people that in the midst of chaos, often sometimes we can find joy and connection and see the best of humanity, even when the days are the darkest.
0: Oh, so true. Amen to that. (laughs) As we climb out of this pandemic slowly here. Thank you again for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This has been the Marrow Masters podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. For more, follow Marrow Masters in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes.